U.S. President Joe Biden took a controversial trip to Saudi Arabia on July 15th. Biden said the purpose of this trip was to reorient and reset U.S. relations with a country that has been a major ally for 80 years. Now, a lot of the media discussion about this meeting has to do with oil, and certainly oil was an important part of this trip. Saudi Arabia is one of the world's largest producers of oil. It's the de facto leader of OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Saudi Arabia can have a lot of influence over the price of oil on the global market. And the Western economic war on Russia, the US and EU sanctions on Russia, and the boycott of Russian energy have led to skyrocketing prices of oil and gas. And clearly Biden is looking to to pressure countries like Saudi Arabia to increase oil production. Now, that is a, a significant factor. I'm not downplaying that. But I actually think the real purpose of this trip was another point. And obviously, there's not just one reason that Biden took this trip. But I think the most important reason that Biden took this controversial and historic trip to Saudi Arabia is to counter the influence of China and Russia, like always. This action was part of the new Cold War, the second Cold War that we're seeing. The U.S. government uses this term great power competition a lot. In fact, the Pentagon uses this term so much that it actually has its own acronym now, GPC, great power competition between the U.S. on one side and China and Russia on the other side. Of course, China and Russia are major strategic partners, they're allies. And Biden had took this trip because the U.S. is trying to pressure Saudi Arabia to join the U.S. camp in this new Cold War on China and Russia. We've seen that Saudi Arabia in the past few years has been getting closer and closer to both China and Russia. Saudi Arabia's largest trading partner is not the U.S., it's China. China is the largest importer of Saudi oil, and Saudi Arabia and Russia recently signed a military cooperation agreement Saudi Arabia has been buying weapons from Russia. Saudi Arabia has been trying to maintain this independent foreign policy and priding itself on supposedly not being, you know, a total U.S. puppet. Now, for decades, Saudi Arabia was largely a U.S. proxy. But ever since the rise of Prince, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who did a coup against another Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Nayef, Mohammed bin Salman has been trying to show his independence from Washington and try to play China and Russia on one side against the U.S. on the other side. So this isn't just my speculation. There have been a few media reports acknowledging this. And today in this video, I want to talk about the growing conflict, the geopolitical conflict that the Gulf regimes are have found themselves in playing Russia and China against the U.S. on one each side. And also, I want to talk about Jamal Khashoggi. This is the Washington Post columnist and longtime CIA ally who was killed by Mohammed bin Salman. I'm going to explain in this video how Jamal Khashoggi represented a different faction of the Saudi royal family that was completely subservient to the United States. And he was allied with Saudi Arabia's former crown prince, Mohammed bin Nayef, who was purged and cooed by Mohammed bin Salman. And Mohammed bin Nayef was a close ally of U.S. intelligence agencies. He worked closely with the U.S. government. The U.S. 
assumed that Muhammad bin Nayef was going to take power as the next king of Saudi Arabia, but Muhammad bin Salman did a coup against him and took his place as crown prince. And since then, Muhammad bin Salman has been trying to maintain a more independent foreign policy. He's still allied with the U.S. They're still working together to murder Yemenis and carry out this horrific gen borderline genocidal war in Yemen. However, Mohammed Salman has also been trying to increase relations with China and Russia, and that has clearly angered the U.S. And when he killed Jamal Khashoggi, a major CIA ally and asset of the U.S., then obviously that was a, a huge blow to U.S. influence in Saudi Arabia. So there's no good guys in this scenario. I'm not pretending like a Mohammed bin Salman is some great, you know, anti-imperialist hero. He's certainly not that, but he's not a total U.S. puppet. He's playing a more complicated geopolitical game and trying to maintain, you know, play this, this chess, maintain this independence in the new Cold War. And that's ultimately what Joe Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia was about. Now, another significant reason that Joe Biden took this trip to Saudi Arabia is he's trying to pressure Saudi Arabia to normalize relations with Israel. And we saw that Saudi Arabia announced that when Biden came, it was changing its policy, opening its airspace to all airlines, including Israeli planes. So Joe Biden actually flew to Saudi Arabia from apartheid Israel. And for decades, Saudi Arabia at least pretended to support Palestine. It pretended to oppose Israeli colonialism, although everyone has known for decades that the open secret in the region is that Saudi Arabia has been an, uh, an ally secretly of Israel. But technically, they do not have formal diplomatic relations. So clearly, Joe Biden is trying to pressure Saudi Arabia to normalize relations with apartheid Israel. I wrote about this in an article at multipolarisa.com titled Israeli military conspiring with Saudi Arabia, Qatar, UAE, Egypt against Iran. Back in September 2020, Donald Trump signed the so-called Abraham Accords with between Israel, apartheid Israel, the UAE and Bahrain. So just as Trump is, was pressuring the Gulf monarchies to, to officially normalize relations with apartheid Israel, Joe Biden is trying to clearly do the same thing with Saudi Arabia. So that was another reason for his trip. But like I said, the main reason was not just about Iran and apartheid Israel and oil. The main reason was about China and Russia. Everything that I just said today, right, right now, was a summary of what I'm going to explain in this video. And I have sources for everything that I cite. And in this video, you can see at the top of all of the uh, sources that I show, you can see the URL. So you can find the link to all the sources that I mention. And if, this, if you're listening to a podcast version of this, then check out the video to get all of the sources. So I'm going to start this analysis today looking at an article that was published in The Guardian. The Guardian is a British newspaper that is closely linked to British state intelligence agencies. It, it's the de facto voice of the British national security state. And they published an article that is very revealing. And I think it, it explains a lot about Joe Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia. It's titled Joe Biden lands in Saudi Arabia seeking to halt shift toward Russia and China. So from the horse's mouth, this is admitting exactly what I'm trying to explain in this video, but I'm going to provide even further analysis that you don't get in The Guardian, right? The Guardian is only providing certain information that's in the interest of Western governments. Now, this photo of Joe Biden doing a fist bump with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman 
is very controversial. It, it you know went viral, and a lot of people were you know pointing out the hip- hypocrisy of this because Joe Biden, during his presidential campaign, and especially during the Democratic presidential debates, he constantly criticized Saudi Arabia uh, for its very real, brutal human rights violations. He said that he was going to treat it as a pariah if he became president. And for people who don't know, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, is the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia. His father, King Salman, is technically the king, but everyone knows that King Salman's health is very poor and he's pretty much incapacitated. So his son, MBS, he's known by the acronym MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, he's, he's really in charge of the country. So I'm going to this article here. It notes that Saudi Arabia, this is again the Guardian writing, Saudi Arabia is keen to prove its independence from U.S. interests as it increasingly courts Russia and China. And Joe Biden wrote in an article in the Washington Post, which I'm going to talk about in a second. He wrote, from the start, my aim was to reorient, but not rupture, relations with a country that's been a strategic partner for 80 years. I'm going to come back to that article he wrote in the Washington Post in a second. If you go down more in this article in The Guardian, it notes that the U.S.-Saudi relationship has shifted in recent years, especially as Saudi Arabia looks to Russia and China to diversify its interests. Saudi Arabia's recent cooperation with Russia has included an agreement for Rosatom, which is a Russian state company, to build a nuclear power plant in the kingdom, as well as signing an agreement last year, in 2021, to explore ways to develop military, to strengthen the military and defense cooperation between Saudi Arabia and Russia. China is historically the largest importer of Saudi Arabian oil, while the kingdom has bought Chinese arms, including drones and fighter aircraft. Last November, U.S. intelligence agencies concluded that Saudi Arabia is manufacturing its own ballistic missiles with the help of China. So the U.S. administration saw Biden's visit as a vital opportunity to intervene and warm relations before Saudi Arabia moves ahead with Chinese and Russian deals. So like I said, this trip is partially about oil, but more so it's about preventing Saudi Arabia from leaving the U.S. camp. Now, obviously, Saudi Arabia is never going to become like an anti-imperialist country. I'm not in any way arguing that. Saudi Arabia, on the other hand, is trying to maintain this position of independence, playing the U.S. on one side against China and Russia on the other side, doing what's best for its own interests. Obviously, for the United States, which wants every country to act on behalf of Washington's interest, that's unacceptable. So again, I'm not saying that MBS is some great anti-imperialist. Obviously, he's not. He's overseen this brutal borderline genocidal war in Yemen for seven years now that has resulted in the deaths of more than 377,000 Yemenis. So I'm not in any way praising MBS, but we have to have a realistic, sophisticated understanding of politics and geopolitics and understand that countries have different interests. And many times, if countries are smart in their diplomacy, they will play large powers against each other to do what's best for their own country. And that's exactly what MBS is doing in Saudi Arabia, which is infuriating Washington because for decades, Saudi Arabia was basically a U.S. vassal state. And all it did was just completely follow orders from Washington. Now, after MBS 
did a coup against a major U.S. ally, Mohammed Mnayef, well, we see why the United States is angry and is trying to improve its relations, as The Guardian says, to prevent Saudi Arabia from allying closer with China and Russia. So here, here's another quote in The Guardian. The U.S. administration sees an opportunity to undo all of that or to take a step back and create some space. There's a lot on paper rather than in reality, and there's still space for the administration to try to create some distance between Saudi Arabia, Russia, and China. Now, The Guardian also notes that according to Reuters, Saudi Arabia has doubled its imports of Russian oil since Moscow invaded Ukraine. And it's doing that because Saudi Arabia is exporting its own oil and then importing much cheaper Russian oil because Russia gives very, very favorable agreements to countries selling its oil. And Saudi Arabia is buying, it has doubled its imports of Russian oil, violating these Western sanctions. So the U.S. has been trying to pressure countries around the world, including Saudi Arabia, to join its sanctions on Russia. And Saudi Arabia has said, nah, sorry, we, we're getting a much better deal from Russia. So we're going to continue doing business with Moscow. This is exactly why Biden took the trip. Now, here is this article that Joe Biden wrote in the Washington Post on July 9th, a few days before he went to Saudi Arabia. It's called Joe Biden, Why I'm Going to Saudi Arabia. And of course, I should say that the Washington Post is one of the most close CIA allies. It is very closely linked to the U.S. intelligence agencies and the, the CIA and other intelligence agencies, they will selectively leak information to the Washington Post. Of course, the Post is owned by Jeff Bezos, the richest person on earth. I mean, Elon Musk's wealth is all fake. He's not the richest person. Jeff Bezos is the richest person. And of course, Jeff Bezos is the founder and chairman of the board of Amazon. And Amazon, of course, has large contracts worth billions of dollars with the CIA and with the Pentagon. The, but basically, Amazon is, it, it has a revolving door with the U.S. government. It's basically part of the U.S. government. It's a privatized arm. So, and the Washington Post, which belongs to Jeff Bezos, is another vehicle for U.S. intelligence agencies to push their, their perspective. So it says a lot that Biden chose the Washington Post and not the New York Times to, to publish, this, to publish this, this column. It shows that the Washington Post and the Biden administration in particular have a very close relationship. So... Biden, in this article, he noted that Saudi Arabia is very important. Its waterways are essential to global trade and the supply chains we rely on. Its energy resources are vital for mitigating the impact on global supplies of Russia's war in Ukraine. So oil and tr important geo geostrategic trade routes in West Asia off in the, in the Persian Gulf. And note, if you go down here, that Biden says... His aim was to reorient but not rupture relations with Saudi Arabia, which has been a strategic partner for 80 years. And note that he makes he emphasizes that his goal is to, quote, counter Russia's aggression, put ourselves in the best possible position to outcompete China. So he subtly hints in this column that he wrote. Joe Biden himself. Well, obviously, Joe Biden didn't write this. I mean, let's be real. No one, everyone knows that Biden's health is very bad. He's not writing anything. His, his team wrote this article, and they say that the, 
the U.S.'s goal is to counter Russia and outcompete China. I've done many videos analyzing the new Cold War. Everyone, it should be clear that that's the U.S. goal. And he said, in order to counter Russia and outcompete China, we have to engage directly with countries that can impact those outcomes. Saudi Arabia is one of them. So there, Joe Biden, if you read between the lines, Joe Biden is, is quite clearly admitting here that the point of his trip to Saudi Arabia is not just about oil, it's about countering China and Russia. Now, in the past few years, as I said, Mohammed bin Salman, who did a coup against a U.S. asset, Mohammed bin Nayef, who was a total loyal U.S. puppet, Mohammed bin Salman has been still allying with the U.S., for instance, on the brutal, murderous war in Yemen, and he's still been allying with the U.S. against Iran. So again, I'm not saying that he's some independent anti-imperialist here. He's certainly not Hugo Chavez by a long shot. But again, he's not a total U.S. puppet, unlike many other Saudi leaders in the past. And he is trying to maintain this independent foreign policy. Going back to 2018, this is an article in CNBC. And people might remember that there was a G20 meeting in Argentina. And there was this very controversial video of Mohammed bin Salman having like a very friendly handshake with Russian President Vladimir Putin. And here's an article, a lot of the Western media freaked out. Here's an article in CNBC in November 2018. Watch Russian President Vladimir Putin and Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's exuberant handshake at G20. They warmly shook hands while they were seated together at the G20 Economic Summit in Argentina. So here's this handshake between Vladimir Putin and Mohammed bin Salman. Got a lot of media coverage. And it, it and here's them laughing together. It shows that, again, MBS is not exactly the, the U.S. puppet that, that Washington wants him to be. Here's an article from a U.S. government propaganda outlet called Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. It was created by the CIA back during the first Cold War. It used to be called Radio Liberation from Bolshevism. This is a a propaganda arm of the U.S. government. It's titled Saudis Sign Military Cooperation Agreement with Russia. It's from August 2021. It shows that U.S. regime media is very concerned. They're, they're angry about the fact that Saudi Arabia, although it's still a U.S. ally, is trying to diversify its diplomatic relations. And according to the, to the U.S., you can't have good relations with Russia and the U.S. You have to pick a side. So here, Saudi Arabia and Russia have signed a military cooperation agreement at an arms expo outside Moscow. Saudi Deputy Defense Minister Khalid bin Salman announced on Twitter on August 24th that he signed the agreement with Russian Deputy Defense Minister Alexander Fomin aimed at developing joint military cooperation between the two countries. Salman, the Saudi Defense Minister, also met with the Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu during his visit outside Moscow to the Arms Expo International Military Technical Forum Army 2021. The Deputy Defense Minister of Saudi Arabia said that they are exploring ways to strengthen military and defense cooperation between Riyadh and Moscow. So this, these are the kinds of things that make Washington very angry, obviously. Under MBS, Saudi Arabia has also been collaborating increasingly closely with Russia in something that's called OPEC plus in order to maintain stability in the global oil market. Now, OPEC is, of course, the organization 
of petroleum exporting countries. Saudi Arabia is the de facto leader. OPEC plus brings other countries that are not officially members, including Russia. Russia has been brought in with OPEC plus, and we've seen that Putin and MBS have been collaborating in terms of oil. And sometimes Saudi Arabia and Russia have actually been ignoring U.S. demands to increase production to drop the price of oil. So we see then what we see there once again, Saudi Arabia doing some actions that anger the U.S. in coordination with Russia. And again, it's not becoming like an anti-imperialist bastion by any stretch of the imagination, but maintaining an independent foreign policy. And that angers Washington. Now, here's another article about Saudi Arabia's relationship with China. This is in CNBC, and this was just published Ju July 16th. So this is published a day after Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia. It's titled Saudi Arabia's ties to the U.S. and China are not mutually exclusive, minister says. So this is another hint that the U.S. is pressuring Saudi Arabia to reduce its relationship with Russia and China. CNBC interviewed Saudi foreign minister um, Abul al-Jubair. And he said, Saudi Arabia will continue to strengthen its relationship with both the U.S. and China. China is our largest trading partner. It's a huge market for energy and a huge market in the future. And China is a big investor in Saudi Arabia. This is the Saudi foreign minister speaking. Although, of course, he also added, the United States is, of course, our number one partner when it comes to security and political coordination as well as investments in trade between the two countries. So, like I said, Saudi Arabia is not in any way some kind of anti-imperialist bastion. I'm not in any way pretending like it's going to be like Iran. Obviously, Iran is a major supporter of anti-imperialist movements across the region. And Saudi Arabia and Iran are, are adversaries. They're enemies. And Saudi Arabia collaborates with the U.S. against Iran. So, clearly... I'm not saying that Saudi Arabia is going to become an anti-imperialist nation, but it's trying to maintain this independent foreign policy with very close economic relations with China, which is Saudi Arabia's largest trading partner and largest importer of Saudi oil and military collaboration with Russia. This is what multipolarity looks like, right? The U.S. is trying to create a bipolar world where countries have to pick a side between the West and the rest. But actual multipolarity looks like this. Countries are able to have more freedom to have an independent foreign policy and they can have some relations with China and Russia and the US and other countries around the world and India and Indonesia. They don't have to just blindly side with the West. Of course, the US is trying to prevent that with this new Cold War. But within multipolarity, you have powers that, you know, that you have poles that lean in certain directions. So you have some regional players like Saudi Arabia, it's not a superpower, but it's a regional power. And it's going to lean toward the U.S., but have some relations with China and Russia. You also have Turkey, which is a member of NATO, the second largest military in NATO after the United States. It's an important longtime U.S. ally. But Turkey also has increasing relations with Russia, and it's, it's a close economic partner of China. So this is what multipolarity looks like. Not every country that has an independent foreign policy is obviously good or progressive. Saudi Arabia is certainly not in any way progressive. But Mohammed Salman, again, I repeat, is not the U.S. puppet that the people he overthrew had been. And I'll talk about that in a second. I'll show some of the sources for that because there's not a lot of information 
that people know about the fact that Jamal Khashoggi was a close ally of the CIA and Mohammed Nayef, who was overthrown by Mohammed Salman, the, other, the previous crown prince, was also a close ally of U.S. intelligence agencies. So I discussed the increasingly independent foreign policy that Saudi Arabia has been trying to pursue, playing China and Russia against the West. Now, I want to return here to an interview that I did back in 2018 when I was at The Real News. And this is when Mohammed Salman killed Jamal Khashoggi. And again, Jamal Khashoggi was a major ally of U.S. intelligence agencies. He represented the certain, a certain wing of the Saudi royal family that was very pro-U.S. And, and was very anti-Russia and anti-China. And I, this, this interview that I did back in 2018 at The Real News is called Why Did CIA Turn Against Saudi Crown Prince MBS? It's more than Khashoggi. I did this interview with Assad Abu Khalil, who is a brilliant Lebanese political scientist and analyst. And he argued that Mohammed Salman purged a certain wing of the Saudi family that was very pro-US and not as independent. And that specifically, Mohammed Salman did a coup against the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Nayef, MBN. And MBN was a close ally of U.S. intelligence agencies. And Assad Abu Khalil argues that this, of course, angered the U.S. government. And the U.S. government also was angry that they think that MBS is not going to maintain the stability of the Saudi regime. I think that's part of it, but it's also he's not he's a little too independent for the U.S. So in this video that I did back in 2018, I highlighted a clip of an interview that former CIA director John Brennan did on MSNBC. And it shows how the CIA was angry at MBS and the former CIA director, and there's, there's no such thing as a former CIA director. Once you're a CIA director, you're always CIA. So he just retired, but, it's, but Brennan of course still speaks on behalf of the CIA. And in this video clip here, he refers to MBS as a cancer and he says that basically the U.S. wants to remove MBS and, and replace him with another puppet who is much more obedient. So here's this clip of CIA Director John Brennan. I think ultimately this is going to come out. Uh, and I, it's very important for us to maintain the relations with Saudi Arabia. And if it's Mohammed Salman who's the cancer here, well, we need to be able to find ways to eliminate the cancer and to move forward with this relationship that is critical to regional stability and our national security interests. Note how John Brennan is not in any way criticizing Saudi Arabia as a regime, as an authoritarian monarchy. No, none of this is about democracy, about human rights. No. This is about geopolitics and about the fact that MBS is too independent for Washington. Note how Brennan says it's very important for us to maintain the relations with Saudi Arabia. He's not criticizing Saudi Arabia itself. He's only criticizing MBS. MBS is the cancer that needs to be removed. Now, in this interview that I did, Assad Abu Khalil pointed out that the reason that the CIA and the U.S. overall was so angry with MBS is because he removed from power, he purged a faction of the Saudi royal family that was much more obedient. So here's this clip from, from Assad Abu Khalil. I think because the Washington Post in particular has been a mouthpiece of the intelligence services, particularly the CIA, it should be, say, it should be said that there is an agenda for the CIA on this matter. 
And I'm glad you quoted John Brennan. As you know, John Brennan, before he became CIA director, was a Middle East hand at the CIA, and he also was CIA station chief in Saudi Arabia, where he cultivated very close ties with the royal family. There is nothing about the need for accountability in the CIA leaks which wants to bring down Mohammed bin Salman. This is all about choosing between the various lousy princes. As you know, Mohammed bin Nayib was ousted last year by Mohammed bin Salman, his cousin, was the choice for the intelligence agencies and the FBI because this man, when he was deputy to his father, the Minister of Interior for many years, was a very close ally client, you should say, of the U.S. government and its intelligence agencies. Mohammed bin Salman was unknown. He's not somebody that they know for a long time. But far from wanting to bring accountability for a murder of Khashoggi, as if the intelligence agencies are really up in arms about death of anybody at uh, least, uh, this is about worrying about the future of the Saudi regime. The Khashoggi, it should be said over and over again, was part of the establishment uh, and the propaganda outlet of the Saudi regime for many years. This is a man who has been made by Human Rights Watch and mainstream media as if he's a longtime critic of the Saudi government. This is a man who spent a career making money from being a propagandist for the Saudi royal family and moving between one prince and another. And in fact, he only fell in trouble. He did not, ca he did not count on democracy. He counted on the wrong prince which is the prince of uh, Al-Walid bin Talal, who fell out of favor in, in this new regime in Saudi Arabia. And as a result, he was in trouble himself, and he fled, and he suddenly discovered the love of democracy and freedom in the United States in the really lame articles he has been writing for the Washington Post, which reads to me as being heavily edited by his editors over there. So in that clip from Assad al-Khalil, you can see once again that this is not about Saudi Arabia being a dictatorship and carrying out 81 executions on one day and preventing women from having equal rights. No, this is about geopolitics. This is how actual politics operates. And the U.S. doesn't care about violations of human rights. I mean, it violates the human rights of its own people every single day. So I did a Twitter thread about this back in 2018. It was very clear what was happening. It was clear that Saudi Arabia was becoming too independent and Washington was angry at MBS. And I did a thread about Jamal Khashoggi. The killing of Khashoggi was an important moment because Khashoggi was a U.S. asset. He had collaborated very closely with U.S. intelligence agencies going back to the 1980s when he was in Afghanistan working alongside the CIA to support the Mujahideen against the Soviet Union. And there's this pretty funny anecdote here where Joshua Landis, who's a great expert on West Asia and Syria in particular, he points out that back in Ottoman Turkish, uh, Khashoggi meant spoon. And G was someone who serves the food with the spoon, right? So Khashoggi refers to the spooner in the Ottoman court. That is the people who, who spoon the food for the royal family in, in Ottoman Turkey. In the Ottoman Empire, so it's the perfect—it's the perfect metaphor. The Khashoggi family are—they have always been loyal allies of the Saudis. They—he was never a dissident. In fact, Jamal Khashoggi had written in Arabic. He wrote, "I am not a dissident." He wasn't a dissident. He represented a certain faction of the Saudi royal family 
that was removed from power in the purge by Muhammad bin Salman. And the faction that he represented, along with Muhammad bin Nayef, was the faction that was the most pro-U.S. and subordinate to U.S. interests. So this is, this is incredible history that is not nearly well known enough. In the 1980s, Jamal Khashoggi, the so-called journalist, went to Afghanistan and he was fighting alongside the far-right Islamist extremist in the Mujahideen. Now, there was a, there were, in the late 1970s, there was a socialist revolution in Afghanistan called the Kaur Revolution. And immediately after that, in 1979, before the Soviet Union intervened in Afghanistan, the U.S. government initiated a CIA operation to send weapons and support to these Islamist extremists in the Mujahideen to overthrow the socialist government in Afghanistan. And faced with this U.S.-backed insurgency that was also backed by Saudi Arabia and Pakistani intelligence, the ISI, the Afghan government, the revolutionary socialist government in Afghanistan, requested that, this, that the Soviet Union intervene to help it protect itself from these U.S.-Saudi-Pakistani-backed extremist Islamist groups. Jamal Khashoggi, who was a so-called journalist, a propagandist for the Saudi royal family, he went to Afghanistan to join in this fight alongside the Mujahideen against the Soviet Union. And you can see a photo of him here as a so-called journalist holding a rocket launcher. <laughs> what kind of journalist holds a rocket launcher? He was not a journalist. He was a propagandist representing the Saudi royal family. And he was a liaison between Saudi intelligence and U.S. intelligence and the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. And you can see here, this, this is from Arab News, which is a propaganda newspaper in Saudi Arabia. And it's titled, Arab Youths Fight Shoulder to Shoulder with Mujahideen. So look at the subtitle here. It says, Arab News Correspondent Jamal Khashoggi with some of the Arab Mujahideen. So he was, so going back to the 1980s, when he was in his 30s, Jamal Khashoggi was a key ally of the CIA and U.S. intelligence agencies. And you can see this in the articles that he wrote at the Washington Post. He was a columnist at the Washington Post, and he wasn't a journalist. He was a propagandist for a certain faction of the Saudi royal family. And here's an article he wrote in the Washington Post in 2018 titled, It's Time to Divide Syria. It, this, is, this is the CIA's perspective on Syria. He says, it's time for the United States to step up and reassert its traditional authority in the region. This is not a job for the Russians or the Israelis. The United States would be the only honest broker in the international effort to restore peace and justice for all Syrians. The U.S. was backing al-Qaeda in Syria. I mean, the U.S. helped give rise to ISIS in Syria with its Operation Timber Sycamore, which basically operated as a weapons farm, and ISIS and Al-Qaeda, Javad al-Nusra, ended up with all of these U.S. weapons in Saudi Arabia, uh, in Syria, excuse me. But Jamal Khashoggi is saying that the U.S. needs to assert its authority in the region. It's the only honest broker. So here, clearly, you can see that Jamal Khashoggi was a propagandist for the U.S. government and the CIA, representing U.S. and CIA interests and the interests of a particular faction 
of the Saudi royal family. And he calls for dividing up Syria on sectarian lines. He says, the United States should propose partition in Syria. Assad can keep what he controls and the rebels, of course, backed by the West and Saudi Arabia and Turkey, can form local governments and establish a new entity. He said, the template for Syria is what the Turks are doing now in Afrin, where they train local police. Yeah, Turkey ethnically cleansed Afrin in northern Syria and is basically trying to make it part of Turkey in the new Ottoman Empire. So you can see here that Jamal Khashoggi was a reliable mouthpiece for the U.S. government, the CIA, a certain faction of the Saudi royal family, and also for Turkey. He was a propagandist for Turkey and Qatar. Now, in order to understand this, you have to understand that Jamal Khashoggi was a longtime Muslim Brotherhood activist. And in Saudi Arabia, there's a major conflict going on internally between the Saudi regime and the Muslim Brotherhood. The Saudi regime sees the Muslim Brotherhood as a major threat to its power, and especially Mohammed bin Salman. Here's an article in the Washington Post by CIA propagandist David Ignatius. He's a total water boy for the CIA. And this article is titled, Jamal Khashoggi's Long Road to the Doors of the Saudi Consulate. And this, this is, of course, referring to when he was killed by Saudi Arabia. And by the way, when he was killed by Saudi Arabia, who leaked the information about the killing of him? It was Turkey. So Turkey was using Jamal Khashoggi as an asset against Saudi Arabia. And in West Asia, there's a major geopolitical rivalry between Turkey and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia hosts Mecca and Medina, the great mosques, and it portrays itself as the leader of the Muslim world. Er Recep Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey, who's, who is a longtime follower of the Muslim Brotherhood and his party, the AKP, is the Turkish affiliate of the Muslim Brotherhood. There, he sees himself, Erdogan, as a new leader of the Muslim world. And there's this rivalry between Saudi Arabia on one side and Turkey on the other. And Turkey is an ally of Qatar, and Qatar is one of the main sponsors of the Muslim Brotherhood. And Jamal Khashoggi is a longtime, he was a longtime Muslim Brotherhood activist, and he was an ally of Turkey and Qatar. So this article by CIA poster boy David Ignatius at the Washington Post notes that in the 1980s in Afghanistan, that Jamal Khashoggi was a passionate young journalist who supported the Saudi establishment. He notes that Jamal Khashoggi was friendly with a man named Osama bin Laden. Important detail there. I'm going to come back to that. CIA ally Jamal Khashoggi was a key ally also of Osama bin Laden, who was also a CIA ally back in the 1980s when he was funding the so-called Arab Mujahideen in their proxy war against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. So he notes, David Ignatius notes that Jamal Khashoggi's patron was Prince Turki Al-Faisal, the longtime Saudi intelligence chief. Now, Turki Al-Faisal was a major CIA asset. He was the head of Saudi intelligence and he collaborated very closely with the CIA, FBI. So, so once again, Jamal Khashoggi represented a certain faction of the Saudi royal family that was extremely subordinate to U.S. interests. And David Ignatius also notes that Jamal Khashoggi would travel frequently to Qatar, which, of course, Qatar has become 
a major rival of Saudi Arabia because Qatar is one of the main sponsors of the Muslim Brotherhood. So here, if you go down in this article, Khashoggi, he wrote an article, a series of articles with the Arab Mujahideen in Afghanistan. One of the photos showed, showed the tall bearded reporter Khashoggi standing among the Arab fighters, cradling a rocket propelled grenade launcher in his hands. That is, that is this photo here. What kind of, again, he's not a journalist, he's a propagandist. What kind of journalist holds a rocket launcher? Anyway, getting back here to this article in the Washington Post. Khashoggi couldn't have traveled with the Mujahideen that way without tacit support from Saudi intelligence, which was coordinating aid to the fighters as part of its cooperation with the CIA against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. So that is CIA asset David Ignatius subtly hinting that Khashoggi was also a CIA asset. He traveled to Afghanistan with a Saudi regime propaganda outlet, Arab News, and he was supporting the Arab Mujahideen in Afghanistan, and he was, he was coordinating that operation with Saudi intelligence and the CIA, and likely Pakistani intelligence as well. So once again, Jamal Khashoggi was a Western intelligence asset, and he represented a certain faction of the Saudi royal family. Now, I mentioned that he was also a close ally of Qatar. This was admitted in the Washington Post, which hired Jamal Khashoggi, right? It paid him to write these propaganda articles. The Washington Post wrote, it noted that even in exile, Khashoggi remained loyal to Saudi Arabia and reluctant to sever ties to the royal court. Because he was always loyal to the Saudi court, he represented a certain faction of the Saudi royal court. It's not all one monolith. There are different princes competing for power in the Saudi royal family, and Khashoggi bet on the wrong prince. Now, this is in the Washington Post. It notes, in September 2017, at the same time Khashoggi was embarking on a new role as an opinion columnist for the Washington Post, he was pursuing up to $2 million in funding from the Saudi government for a think tank that he proposed to run in Washington. What happened? MBS destroyed the plans for that think tank that Jamal Khashoggi was supposed to operate in Washington. So once again, he was not a dissident. He represented a certain faction of the Saudi royal family. Here is a very revealing quote from the Washington Post. Perhaps most problematic for Khashoggi were his connections to an organization funded by Saudi Arabia's regional nemesis, Qatar. Text messages between Khashoggi and an executive at Qatar Foundation International show that the executive, Maggie Mitchell-Salem, at times shaped the columns he submitted to the Washington Post, proposing topics, drafting material, and prodding him to take a harder line against the Saudi government. Khashoggi also appears to have relied on a researcher and translator affiliated with the Qatar Foundation, which promotes Arabic language education. Now, also reportedly, Jamal Khashoggi did not speak English very well. So basically what the Washington Post is admitting here is that Qatar was helping to, to write his columns. Like I said, Jamal Khashoggi was an ally of U.S. intelligence agencies and also a close ally of Qatar and Turkey. Here's another part in this Washington Post article. Again, very revealing. 
Editors at the Washington Post opinion section, which is separate from the newsroom, said they were unaware of these arrangements. That is the fact that he was directly writing his articles with the Qatar Foundation or his effort to secure Saudi funding for think tank. So once again, this guy was not some great independent journalist. He represented certain political interests and Mohammed Saman opposed those interests, which is why he killed them. Obviously, Mohammed Saman is brutal and authoritarian. I mean, he murdered him. So clearly, I'm not defending MBS here. But again, we have to have a sophisticated geopolitical understanding of how politics works and not this infantile, moralistic understanding of politics. No significant political power in the world sits around being like, well, uh, you know, uh, these are the good guys and we're the, no, the US, it's not, they're not the good guys. They're the bad guys actually. But the point is that their politics is not motivated by moralism. Their politics is motivated by their economic and political interests. And they look around the world and they say, Saudi Arabia has all of this oil. It has a leadership role in OPEC and Saudi Arabia can help influence the price of oil in the global market. So the US looks at that situation and says, we need to prevent Riyadh from becoming too close to Moscow and Beijing. So if there are skeptics out there saying, Ben, you're crazy, you are making this crazy conspiracy theory. Well, everything that I'm saying here is further con confirmed by an article in a mainstream British media outlet called The Times. This article was published in 2018. It's called To the Saudi Regime, Jamal Khashoggi's Real Crime was to be an insider. And this article confirms exactly what I've been saying, that, that Jamal Khashoggi was not a dissident. He was loyal to a different faction of the Saudi royal family that was overthrown by MBS. Here's another article, here's another photo of Jamal Khashoggi in Afghanistan in the 1980s. And <laughs> so funny, look at this propaganda. They say Jamal Khashoggi in Afghanistan, where he was a reporter. It shows him holding an assault rifle. What kind of reporter holds an assault rifle? He was not a reporter. He was a propagandist for the Saudi regime, and he was working with Saudi intelligence and U.S. intelligence as a link between the Mujahideen to coordinate with the Mujahideen and specifically the Arab Mujahideen, who were the Arabs who came to help fight alongside the Afghans against the Soviet Union, this proxy war. And of course, Saudi Arabia was working with the U.S. in this proxy war. So once again, that's the real, real purpose he served. This article in the Times of London is written by foreign correspondent Christina Lamb. And she writes, we first met, she's talking about Jamal Khashoggi. She says, Jamal Khashoggi's real crime was to be an insider. We first met in Peshawar, which is a major city in Pakistan, in the late 1980s as young journalists covering the, the Soviet so-called occupation. No, the Soviet intervention at the request of Afghan's legitimate socialist government. So this British journalist notes, I was going in and out with the Western-backed Mujahideen fighting to liberate their country and was shocked the first time I visited the camp, a camp of Arabs in the mountains. Once again, we see these so-called journalists who are just propagandists on behalf of Western governments and their proxies in Afghanistan. But anyway, so she was shocked to see a camp, a camp of Arabs in Afghanistan. 
Staying with them was a pot-bellied, bespectacled man in a shawar kameez, which is a South Asian piece of clothing, who laughed when I was expelled from a press conference by Golbuddin Hekmatyar, the most extremist Afghan leader, supposedly because he could see my ankles. Now, by the way, Golbuddin Hekmatyar was a major CIA asset, and he was a complete fascist, misogynist. He, he ordered people to throw acid in the face of women who were teachers who taught women how to read. He also ordered people to behead teachers, men and w women who taught w girls how to read in Afghanistan. Gobadin Hekmatyar was a complete fascist, and he was backed by the CIA in this proxy war against the Soviet Union. So this British journalist notes that afterward, Jamal Khashoggi shared his notes with me. We later occasionally ran into each other at the houses of various Afghan warlords. So just as this British journalist, Christina Lamb, was a propagandist for the CIA's and MI6's Mujahideen, similarly, she was playing the role that Jamal Khashoggi was playing for the Saudi regime. She writes that it seemed clear to me that Jamal Khashoggi was very much part of the system. He traveled with the late King Abdullah and later became an advisor and spokesman for Prince Turki Al-Faisal, who had been spy chief from 1977 to 2001 and a key figure in the Afghan war. Once again, Jamal Khashoggi was a major asset of the CIA. He was an advisor and spokesman for the head of Saudi intelligence, Prince Turki Al-Faisal, who was also a major CIA asset and CIA ally. So MBS, the reason the CIA got so angry at MBS is because MBS killed one of the CIA's most loyal decades-long allies, Jamal Khashoggi. Everything changed in 2015 when King Salman came to the throne and unexpectedly made his son, his young son, Mohammed bin Salman, deputy crown prince, but not crown prince. Deputy Crown Prince. Crown Prince was Muhammad bin Nayef. MBS, as he became known, quickly amassed more power than any prince in the kingdom's history, ousting his elder cousin, Muhammad bin Nayef, as Crown Prince, taking control of the Saudi military and ending the decades-old balance of power between different parts of the family. This is exactly what I've been saying in this analysis here. That's why the U.S. doesn't like MBS. It's because he's not a puppet like the other parts of the Saudi royal family had been. He's too independent, and he purged Muhammad bin Nayef, who was supposed to be the crown prince that would take over from King Salman. But soon MBS was sidelining others, rounding up eight, sorry, rounding up 400 princes on a supposed anti-corruption drive and cracking down on activists. So, MBS purged the factions in the royal family who were his adversaries, and they happened to be the faction in the royal family in Saudi Arabia that were the loyal U.S. puppets. And then, of course, what happened? Jamal Khashoggi moved to Virginia, headquarters of CIA, what a coincidence, and started writing columns for the Washington Post. And we now know that those columns of the Washington Post were also being written by the Qatar Foundation. So now things are starting to come into place. It's starting to make sense what was actually happening here. Like I said, 
this was an internal power struggle within the Saudi regime. And we see that Jamal Khashoggi represented the faction loyal to Qatar, Turkey, and the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, here's this article I mentioned in the Washington Post by David Ignatius. He points out in this article that Khashoggi's intellectual interests were shaped in the early 20s, his early, his early 20s, excuse me, that was in the 1970s, when he studied in the United States and was also a passionate member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Once again, for people who want to say that this is supposedly a conspiracy theory, well, here's the Washington Post's CIA poster boy, David Ignatius, admitting it openly, Jamal Khashoggi was a member, a passionate member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, bin Laden also joined the Muslim Brotherhood about the same time as Khashoggi did because they were friends. Jamal Khashoggi was a friend of Osama bin Laden in the 1970s. The two men shared a passion for the Mujahideen's war in Afghanistan, first against the Soviet un Union and later for power in Kabul. So they were allies also of the Taliban. Now, here's an interesting detail from this guy on Twitter who's really good, at Gumby for Christ. It's obviously a very, uh, you know, funny, uh, sarcastic name, but he does really good research. Here's an interesting detail. So Robert Fisk, who was this legendary British journalist who was actually a good journalist, although he sometimes did really stupid things like this article. He wrote an article in The Independent in 1993, which was a whitewash for Osama bin Laden. Of course, this is before Osama bin Laden was well known as the leader of Al Qaeda. But the article in The, in the Independent, this British newspaper, was called Anti-Soviet Warrior Puts His Army on the Road to Peace. And he notes an interesting detail for this article, which was a whitewash of Osama bin Laden, talking about how Osama bin Laden funded the Arab Mujahideen backed by the CIA and their proxy war against the Soviet Union. Now, who connected British journalist Robert Fisk with Osama bin Laden? He was hooked up by none other than Jamal Khashoggi, the loyal CIA ally. Now, here is from, this is a quote uh, this is an excerpt from a legendary book by this mainstream journalist, Lawrence Wright, who has this book that's about the history of Al-Qaeda, and it's called The Looming Tower. Again, this is a very mainstream journalist. And he notes that Jamal Khashoggi was working for Saudi Crown Prince Abdullah, who became the Saudi king before current Saudi king Salman. So Saudi Crown Prince Abdullah, he became Saudi king, and he died in 2015 and then when he died in 2015 he put he was replaced by Saudi King Salman and then Saudi King Salman made his son Mohammed bin Salman the deputy crown prince which put him in the third position for the throne and then he purged his cousin Mohammed bin Nayef who was the crown prince which made Mohammed bin Salman the crown prince which makes him second in in lineage for the throne so again, Jamal Khashoggi was working on behalf of Saudi Crown Prince Abdullah, who became Saudi King. And what was his, what was his responsibility? To whitewash Osama bin Laden. Of course, for people who don't know, Osama bin Laden was Saudi, and he was from a very wealthy family, and his family was involved in the construction industry. And, and Osama bin Laden used his family wealth to fund the CIA's Mujahideen fascists 
to carry out the proxy war against, against the Soviet Union in the 1980s. So here, this is from, again, this mainstream book by Lawrence Wright, The Looming Tower. Abdullah was crowned prince. Bin Laden wrote a cagey and conciliatory note to him, trying to sound him out. He learned that the Saudi government was agreeable to his return to Saudi Arabia if Osama bin Laden pledged to give up jihad. Otherwise, he would be jailed or put under house arrest. So obviously, Abdullah, who was the head of Saudi intelligence, was, was being pressured by the U.S. To, to not allow Osama bin Laden to return to Saudi Arabia. But Abdullah said, okay, you can return if you give up your pledge to violent jihad. His family heard about his yearning to come home. This is the bin Laden family. And they turned to his a longtime friend of Osama bin Laden, the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who had covered bin Laden's exploits in Afghanistan. Khashoggi's job was to get Osama bin Laden to grant an interview in which he renounced violence. That would be a very public signal to the government that he accepted its terms. Bin Laden cheerfully received his friend Jamal Khashoggi. So once again, the plot is thickening now, isn't it? Jamal Khashoggi was a longtime CIA ally and a close personal friend of Osama bin Laden back when Osama bin Laden had been an ally of the West in the proxy war against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. If you don't believe me that that Osama bin Laden was a Western ally. Well, here is this puff piece praising Osama bin Laden in the major British newspaper, The Independent. And of course, this softball interview in The Independent was organized by Jamal Khashoggi, who was killed by Mohammed bin Salman in the Saudi consulate. So now it's all making sense, isn't it? It's making much more sense. So once again, Jamal Khashoggi was not a dissident, he was a loyal ally of the CIA, Qatar, Turkey, and the Muslim Brotherhood. Here's an article that he wrote in the Washington Post. Although, I mean, did he write it or did Qatar write it and he put his name on it? That's the question, right? The U.S. is wrong about the Muslim Brotherhood and the Arab world is suffering for it. This is an article where he's just praising the Muslim Brotherhood. This is back in 2018. He's saying that the U.S. should, should consider supporting the Muslim Brotherhood, which, by the way, the U.S. did do in Syria. But anyway, this gets me to the last detail of this, this analysis, which, man, if, the, if, if, those, if that section of the video didn't blow your mind, this section might. Now, for people who say, Ben, this is conspiracy theory. This is crazy. You don't have any evidence of this. Well, I've been showing you the evidence for the past hour here in mainstream sources. But if you still don't believe me that Jamal Khashoggi was a loyal CIA asset. Well, would it surprise you to learn that Jamal Khashoggi's uncle was one of the most famous CIA assets in the world? Jamal Khashoggi's uncle was Adnan Khashoggi, and he was a loyal CIA asset and an arms dealer. Here is an article in the Australian Financial Review, a, a mainstream newspaper in Australia, you can find it at AFR.com. The article is titled, Adnan Khashoggi, Saudi arms merchant and friend of the CIA, dies at age 81. It's by journalist Brian Murphy, published on June 7, 2017. Again, 
This is Jamal Khashoggi's uncle. The article begins saying, Adnan Khashoggi, a Saudi middleman for hire who amassed huge wealth and influence, peddling everything from American weapons to favors for Riyadh's rulers and CIA spy masters. Khashoggi's name may have lost its luster since his peak in the 1970s and 80s, but not so the list of misdeeds and abuses that remain defining events of the time. Note, his name may have lost its luster. They're saying his family name. Khashoggi was a very well-known figure, and the Khashoggi family was well-known in the 70s and 80s. Again, Adnan Khashoggi, CIA asset, was the uncle of Jamal Khashoggi, another CIA asset. The, the Australian Financial Review notes that, that Adnan Khashoggi, his uncle, who was a billionaire, by the way, his lifestyle was estimated by The Economist in 1987 to cost $250,000 a day. He parted with Holly, partied with Hollywood elite. He traveled in a blinged out DC-8. And he had a bunch of young mistresses. I mean, he was a uh, pretty disgusting man. But a lot of CIA assets are disgusting people. No, he also, he was a, an arms dealer and he funneled weapons. And note that Adnan Khashoggi was a major ally and friend of U.S.-backed right-wing dictators, like the former longtime brutally authoritarian right-wing former corrupt dictator of the Philippines, Fernand Marcos. And Marcos and his wife, Imelda, stole billions of dollars from the Philippines, a very poor country, and they were backed by the U.S. as right -wing, a right-wing dictator. Adnan Khashoggi, Jamal Khashoggi's uncle, was also building a business empire that included resorts in Kenya, shipping lines in East Asia, and an office complex in Salt Lake City in the United States. Here is his giant yacht. He had an 86-meter-long yacht. It was then, at that time, it was the world's largest yacht. Now, in addition to supporting U.S.-backed right-wing dictator Fernand Marcos of the Philippines, he also supported... Haiti's right-wing U.S.-backed dictator, Jean-Claude Duvalier. Duvalier was a brutally authoritarian leader backed by the U.S. So this article notes that the mix of hedonism, power, and audacity swirling around Adnan Khashoggi, Jamal Khashoggi's uncle, was so heady that the British rock band Queen wrote a song about it titled Khashoggi's Ship referring to his 281-foot yacht outfitted with a laser that sketched its owner's smiling image in the main cabin. The vessel would eventually end up with, drumroll, Donald Trump. I'm telling you, this black hole of CIA dirty operations and corruption, it goes so deep. It's endless. It's a black hole of corruption. And even Donald Trump is involved. He will come back in a bit in this article. Just wait. Here is a photo of Princess Diana and the man that was widely suspected of being her partner, her boyfriend, Dodi Fayed. And they died together in a Paris automobile accident, of course. But by the way, Dodi Fayed, who was widely speculated of being her lover, Princess Diana, he was Adnan Khashoggi's nephew. I'm telling you, these elite circles of corruption, 
and coup plotting and all this dirty, these dirty operations, they go very deep, quite deep. Anyway, the Khashoggi family is linked to all of this. The portrayal of Khashoggi as like some great pro-democracy hero is ridiculous propaganda. Anyway, this article continues. It notes that Adnan Khashoggi was named along with Iran-Contra point man Oliver North and others as a key intermediary in the clandestine CIA-directed plan in the 1980s. So, of course, this is, for people who don't know, in Iran-Contra, the U.S. government sent weapons, they, sorry, they sent weapons to Iran in exchange for captives held by pro-Iranian militias in Lebanon, and then that Iranian money was sent to the CIA-backed Contra rebels in Nicaragua. Of course, they were these fascist death squads backed by the U.S., to try to overthrow the socialist Sandinista government in Nicaragua in the 1980s. And by the way, uh, I'll take a sip here from my Nicaragua mug. I'm, I am in Nicaragua, of course, I live here. Just happen to have a representing great, beautiful Sandinista Nicaragua. Anyway, continuing. So Adnan Khashoggi, his father was the personal doctor of King Abdulaziz ibn Saud, who was the first ruler of the Saudi monarchy. So King ibn Saud, who founded Saudi, the Saudi monarchy, his doctor was the father of Adnan Khashoggi, who was the uncle of Jamal Khashoggi, who was killed by Muhammad bin Salman. So now you can see, once again, these networks are starting to, to become clearer, and you can see why the U.S. was so angry about the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. So soon, by the 1960s, he, uh, Adnan Khashoggi became the main Saudi conduit for the import of luxury cars like Rolls-Royce, Chrysler, and Fiat. And he branched out to weapons, eager for a share of the Saudi kingdom's oil-fueled spending, sp spending spree. So Adnan Khashoggi became the main point man for, for arms deals with Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, McDonnell Douglas, and other firms, bringing millions of dollars in fees to him personally, and he became a billionaire. And according to various accounts, his Rolodex in the 1960s included CIA operatives, Swiss bankers, gun runners, and Washington insiders, including confidants of Nixon. So he became a CIA asset and a gun runner. By 1980, Khashoggi was the intermediary for up to 80% of Saudi Arabia's military purchases. In the early 1980s, Khashoggi was so awash with commissions and money-making projects that he was sometimes called the world's richest man. Now, he wasn't really the world's richest man, but his network, net worth peaked at $4 billion dollars in the 1980s. They note that he lived a very lavish lifestyle. His yacht, which again, his yacht was the largest yacht in the time in the 1980s. It was called the Nabila, named after his daughter, was a floating pleasure palace and was used in the 1983 James Bond film, Never Say Never Again, starring, starring Sean Connery, who was an occasional guest at Khashoggi's parties. And then, I'm going to end this with a bang here. Another fun, just tasty little historical irony here. He then sold 
his yacht, which again was the largest yacht in the world at the time, for $29 million in 1988 to Donald Trump. And Donald Trump renamed it the Trump Princess. A few years later, Donald Trump sold that yacht once again to Saudi Crown, Crown Prince Al-Walid bin Talal. And Al-Walid bin Talal was one of the Saudi royals who was purged by Mahama bin Salman when he did the coup to take over as Crown Prince. So I hope that explains what is actually happening in Saudi politics. The trip that Joe Biden took to Saudi Arabia on July 15th was, yes, about oil. Yes, it was about trying to, to create this agreement to normalize relations between apartheid Israel and the Saudi regime. It was about those things, yes. But more than that, it was about preventing Saudi Arabia from becoming too independent and from, from having good relations with China and Russia. Biden was trying to pressure Saudi Arabia to return to being a U.S. vassal state and a key ally in the new Cold War. But we've seen that Mohammed bin Salman is a little too independent for Washington's taste. And when he killed one of Washington's main assets, Jamal Khashoggi, that angered the United States very greatly. And we see that's why the CIA has been leading this charge, you know, correctly. I mean, it's obvious that MBS did kill Jamal Khashoggi, but it's why the CIA has been calling for removing him. As CIA Director John Brennan said, the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia is very important. They need to remove the tumor, the cancer of Mohammed bin Salman and replace him with someone who's a more, more of a loyal U.S. puppet and who won't get too close to China and Russia. So I hope that explains what's actually going on. I, it, here at Multipolarista, I always try to show the reality of geopolitics and this new multipolar world that we're living in. Saudi Arabia is a very brutal authoritarian monarchy. It's uh, alongside the U.S. committing this borderline genocide, this carrying out this b brutal war in Yemen. So it's not in any way, you know, an anti-imperialist bastion. But the new multipolar world order that we're seeing is creating this new shifting geopolitical, uh, you know, status where countries like Saudi Arabia can play the West against the Eurasian powers, and that, of course, angers Washington, but it's a reflection of this new, increasingly multipolar world that we're in today. And if you want to learn more about this new multipolar order and the decline of U.S. unipolar hegemony and the U.S. empire, you can support the reporting I do here at multipolarista.com support. I have a link in the description below. You can also support uh, by becoming support my journalism by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash multipolarista. Any support you can give goes a long way. It's very, very important to, to help me sustain this work. And as always, I'll be back very soon. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe. If you're watching it on Rumble or Rockfin or Odyssey, please subscribe there. And if you're listening to it, please subscribe to, you know, the podcast or SoundCloud or whatever. And if you're watching it and you want to listen to it, maybe you want to re-listen to get some more details, you can check out a podcast version. Or if you're listening to the podcast version and you want to find all of the, the, the sources that I cited in this episode, you can go to the video version and every single source I cite 
has the URL in the video at the top of the page. So with that said, thank you so much for listening or watching, and I'll see you all next time.